and the world more sustainable, climate change, energy, all of these things that you hear about that, you know, <laughs> sound really ludicrous and, and don't make a whole lot of sense. It's legitimate. I mean, I, and that's the, that's the, the, the agenda of the United Nations. And there are other countries that are in connection with this. And there is a uh, Focus 2030 that is a legitimate, real um, a real uh, focus group uh, organization that by 2030 they had they 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 had everything set that by the year 2030 all of this will be in place, um, and so that would mean by the end of 2030, taking us into 2031, the end of this year 2024, taking us into 2031, that's seven years, and so they're looking at the first of January, you know. Um, I don't know why I'm on this, but uh, this is really, it, it kind of goes with the Bible study, but, 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 um, you know, you that have been around, you know, the, the Queen Elizabeth always made a Christmas Day speech from England, if anybody ever remember that, uh, well, we know that, you know, she passed away, and Prince, uh, Prince Charles is now King Charles, well, Prince Charles has, uh, is very adamant on uh, the sustainable, uh, a world and, and making, um, he has, uh, actually has the terracotta mandate that he set uh, in place in 2020 uh, when he was still Prince of Wales. Uh, and now he's king and he's very connected to all of this. And so his speech on Christmas Day should be interesting. I don't, probably won't watch it. But I'm just saying that you know, have all of these traditions and things to him. Now, he's the, he has the opportunity and the power because his mother was not on board with that, okay? And now, now that he is king, uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of power at hand and a lot of, of connection and ability. So the connection there with the Focus 2030 and uh, all that he has, the terracotta mandate and uh, that Focus 28, uh, and, uh, you know, there is a, uh, he has a group, it's called C40, and there's 96 mayors of leading cities in the United States that have agreed and signed on to this terracotta mandate that uh, King Charles, I keep wanting to say principal, but King Charles has set forth and that is all now connected. So uh, they've affirmed their support. So there's a lot of things. I'm just saying, be ready. I mean that, seriously. I say it a lot. We say it all the time. But I'm telling you, seriously, be ready. Don't get caught up and distracted and, and, and really lose your focus even more so now than ever before. So, so be ready because at an hour that you think not, the Son of Man could return. You say, well, I thought, I always thought you said that, that the Lord would probably come in the fall based on the feast. I have his second coming. That is his second coming, which is different than the rapture. So I'm saying that it could be very intimate that the church could be taken out of here. If all of these things are set and it, and it makes it makes sense mathematically, then we could see some things in, in, in the end of this year, the next couple of weeks, in the coming uh, New Year of 2024. So something to ponder on, something to pray about. Anywho, that got me off when I was talking about the coming of the Lord. But at that day and hour, knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. Next verse, please. I'd like to say I have a member. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. 
For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came, took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So again, Jesus speaking, we've said it uh, several times during this study that, you know, he, he saw fit to say there's connection between the days of Noah and where we are now. We are in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. We are in those final hours. That you can be sure of. How many hours we have left, I don't know. But you can be sure of that. We're on the tail end. We are on the precipice of, of the great event, okay, of, of things taking place. And so uh, with that, we've been looking into Genesis and the story of the flood and the days of Noah, taking it, looking into the Hebrew and the ancient Jewish wisdom and kind of breaking down and looking at uh, several things. And hopefully you've gained some insight and you've gained some uh, valuable knowledge and understanding, if nothing else, and ways to look at the scripture and to see, but uh, uh, last week, just a quick overview of what we discussed last week before we go into uh, uh, this week, the meat of this week, we talked last week about the dates of birth and how that those are important in understanding the generations and how the Bible lists, especially in, in Genesis, it lists the begats and it tells us about the births and gives us significant because there's meaning in the names and there's understanding in that to, to see what generation that certain people were born because we see trends in generation. That's why the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. So, uh, you know, everything we're seeing today is not new. It's just on a grander scale. It's just, there's just more uh, of it. There's more people. There's more to it. There's more opportunity. There's ways to get it that there wasn't then, now. And so uh, then we begin to talk about how that we see, see in the story of Noah, the disregard for marriage, and we see how that led to uh, a controlling birth. We see how that uh, uh, the disregard for marriage and the separation of sex and, uh, and, and bringing children into the world and uh, that responsibility, we see that in the story of Noah in the generation's uh, prior to Noah and uh, the ten generations from the time of Noah till the flood, we see that and we see the disregard and how that it led to the 1960s to where we, we saw the birth control and, uh, you know, it began with uh, 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 premarital sex when people were engaged. They thought, well, we're engaged, so uh, we're, go we're going to do this anyway, so let's go ahead and do it now. And so then that led to uh, to people living together, to test driving marriage, to where they thought, let's see if we're going to be able to uh, uh, to handle this, if this will work, to where finally there's just uh, a complete disregard. There's no, uh, uh, sex was no big deal at all. And that's where we are now, to where it's nothing for people to have multiple partners um, to, to hook up with anybody without even knowing their name. It doesn't matter. We see all of this. All of this was happening in the days of Noah. because Just because the Bible doesn't say it out plain, we're seeing it in the ancient Jewish wisdom and in the meaning of the words and, uh, and the names and those kind of things. And So we talked last week about how that's important. Uh, a video, uh, uh, looking at a video camera versus a snapshot for the future consequences of your current decisions. So um, it's better to think beyond the moment when you're making a decision 
uh, uh, that will alter your life and change your life, and not only your life, but everyone connected. So it's better to see the circumstances that led up to the moment and then what happens after that moment to see where it takes it. So it's better for us to consider uh, the bigger picture when we're making uh, decisions about our future and the moment that we're in. So that's why we got to be careful. Okay, I know it feels right, and it feels like it's love, and it feels like that, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is so right. But if it's not right in God's eyes, it's not right. Okay, nothing is worth risking your eternity. Okay, because if we're not careful, sin is for a season. It will come to an end. Eventually, the, the whatever that comes with it, the pleasure, whatever you're feeling out of that, will come to an end. There will be consequences when we step outside of the boundaries of God's blueprint. Amen? Always. You, you, that's why he set the boundaries. Not to restrict us, but to free us. It's really to make us free, not restrict us. We restrict ourselves from the blessings and power of God when we step outside of the boundaries that God has set in his word. Amen? So uh, then we talked about uh, Hashem versus Elohim. Remember last week we talked about uh, the names of God. Him, uh, just real quickly, uh, Hashem, uh, the name of God uh, versus Elohim. That in the first Sedra, which is from Genesis 1 to Genesis 6, 8, uh, he is referred to as Hashem, which is the God of mercy. That means the name. That is the name of God. But uh, we talked about how God is a title and not a name. There's many aspects and characteristics of God. Uh, and so you name those aspects, uh, you know, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Nisi, all of those things. But we see his name interpreted in the Hebrew in the first Savior or the first portion of the, uh, the word uh, up through Genesis 6 8 as Hashem, which is the God of mercy. But as the second Savior or the portion of Noah, begins at Genesis 6-9 when God's name is used in the Hebrew. It is the word Elohim, which means the God of judgment. So he is the God of mercy even while society was going down. Even while they were continuing to sin and they were continuing to deteriorate, he was the God of mercy. But it got to the point to where he said, okay, judgment is coming. Now it's the God of judgment, right? Elohim. So uh, we saw that in there. And God said, my spirit will not always strive with man. So I'm going to give them another 120 years to get this right. I'm going to give them another 120 years to change. But judgment has already been set. So in other words, when the 120 years is up, I'm not changing my mind. But I'll give you time to change. Amen. Amen. Is I with me on that? I believe we're at we're here right now. I believe judgment is set. There's nothing we can do about it, but we're we're under grace right now. That grace is sensation that we can change and we can we can get that right. And so then we see in the first savior or the first portion, savior means portion in Hebrew, uh, in the first portion uh, from Genesis one to Genesis six and eight, where he is Hashem, we see man is the Hebrew word Adam which is Adam, what we say Adam, it is Adam, it is, the, it is the name, it literally means man, mankind is the name that God gave Adam, it's red earth, it is, it, is literally, it is literally man. But in the second Savior, when God changed from mercy to judgment, 
It changed from Adam to Basar. Basar literally means meat or flesh. So God began, in, in, when he was the God of mercy, in the first portion, he referred to man as mankind, his, his creation, that honorable name that was given from the time of creation. But when, when, when it shifted and judgment came, he referred to man as merely a piece of flesh or a piece of meat. Why? Because there was no, literally hardly no spiritual part of man left in them. He said, my spirit will not always strive with man. So any spiritual conscience, any kind of spiritual part of them was literally all but gone. Okay, so he was referring to them now as meat or flesh. Okay, there was not anything spiritual left. So uh, we kind of left off with talking about how did Noah find favor? What was it about Noah that found that he found grace? Remember that in Noah's time there was no covenant, there were no there was no law, there was nothing set in place for how to worship, when to worship, what to worship with, offering sacrifices. None of that had been given to man yet. None of that had been set in place. Uh, uh, and so, uh, uh, but we find in, in Genesis 5.32, as we get towards the end of the first Sadra, it said, but Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, we, we know that there's no such thing as luck. So, you know, it wasn't just luck that got Noah there. There had to be a reason. It wasn't because he was a good Christian. It wasn't because he was worshiping and serving God the way that God set out because there was nothing set out. So there's a reason that Noah, out of all of those people uh, and society, found favor or grace to where God could say, I'm going to spare you from my judgment. Okay? So we started looking at that. That's kind of where we left off. We did talk about how in ancient Jewish wisdom it teaches that uh, that Noah invented the plow, him with his brother-in-law Tubal Cain, uh, who was an artificer of iron and uh, making tools. And so uh, remember, uh, uh, Noah's name is Noah in the Hebrew. It means rest. When uh, he was born, uh, his father Lamech said that uh, because uh, Adam had died, that the curse had been lifted off of the earth that was given to Adam because of his sin. And so he thought now we can rest and we don't have to work as hard. So he named Noah rest because he said in the word, you have now brought rest to us. And so uh, that began that trend where, where entitlement, where you work, and where you do nothing and expect everything. Hello, that's, that's here today, right? So that's nothing new. That was in the days of Noah. But Noah, instead of being lazy or instead of sitting back, Noah took advantage of the fact that the earth was not as hard to work and it was not as much labor. He invented something that not only helped and uh, moved that along, but it also helped the others. And so we see that, that Noah, uh, uh, you know, he worked to magnify uh, uh, what was already set in place. And so uh, we kind of left off with saying that, you know, that said something to God. That said something about Noah's character uh, to God, okay? And so now that uh, uh, that's kind of where we left off on uh, last week. And so now let's just move on into uh, talking a little bit more. And we left off with, with saying, let's see how his sons, what, what did Noah do? 
uh, and pertain to his sons that uh, also enhance the favor and the grace that Noah found in the eyes of God. And so uh, now when we look at all that we've been talking about and everything that, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've spoke about, the words in the, in the Hebrew language and the words in the Bible and the things that God put in there, uh, uh, when we accept the idea that every word of the Bible is vital, that can lead to some problems. When you say that every word in the Bible is vital, and I'm not talking about the does and the ofs and those kind of things. Those have been put in by English. We talked about how that the Hebrew language is, 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 is a lot less letters. They don't use vowels. And, uh, and so there's a lot of combination words. Like this one means ha is the. So the Shem is name. So this is the name. But as a name, when you say ha Shem, they know that the name is the I am. Okay, so that, that the Hebrew language is very, very unique, and it's really simple, but it's the English language and our rules that we've been taught that makes it hard because the English language really doesn't make a lot of sense. It's just rules that we follow, and that's how we have to, or people wouldn't understand us, right? That's just the rules of the language. So, uh, we, we, we simply can't look at Genesis 5.32, which says... That Noah found uh, uh, favor, uh, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Did I give you Genesis 5.32? Oh, yes. <laughs> Noah was 500 years old, and he begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And in the Hebrew, it's, it's uh, Yepheth. That's, that's how that name is. So I may go back and forth with that, and if I do, I apologize. Um, but we, we can't look at this where it says that Noah was 500 and if we believe that every word is crucial to our understanding, we can't just look at this and think, oh, well, that's cool. <laughs> right? You can't just look at that scripture and just, uh, you know, say, well, that, that, that's cool. But when you believe or you understand as we are at that place right now, as we've come to in the study, that every word is vital. And that God puts words in there and those things written in there to tell us something. We have to seek it. We have to study it. But it's telling us something. Because when we go to Genesis 6 and 10, which we, can, we go to that, it says, And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Yephthah. So we see there that in 532, it says he was 500 and he begat. Uh, Shem, Ham, and Yephet, and then 6 and 10 says it's a repeat of the same information as was in Genesis 5.32, but uh, uh, so we have to know that this isn't just a way with poetic words. There's, there's a, a reason. I will tell you this, if I haven't already. When something is repeated in Scripture, there is a spiritual significance to it. Okay, when it is repeated in the scripture, when you see something that is repeated, there is a spiritual significance to that. So, why would he, why would he tell us in Genesis 5.32 that when Noah was 500, he had uh, Shem, Ham, and, and Yephet, and then again in six, uh, Genesis 6.10 tell us the same thing. Uh, it's not because some people have a poor memory, like myself. It's good to be reminded, but that's really not a whole lot of verses later. So uh, we, we've already come to the realization 
that Genesis 6, 1 uh, through Genesis 6, 8 is that first Sedra, and then that 6, 9 begins the second one. We talked about that a, a, a few weeks ago. Now, let's look back at Genesis 5, 32. It says that Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Yepheth. So when you look in the uh, original Hebrew, it, it really is, in the ancient translation, it really says that Noah birthed Shem, Ham, and Yepheth. Okay, uh, and so the word begat there, it really it says that Noah birthed these three. Now let's go to Genesis 6.10, look at that again. It says, Noah begat three sons. Now, in the ancient translation, the word begat there uh, it says fathered. So in Genesis 5.32, he birthed them. But in Genesis 6.10, it said he fathered them. Did you, have you noticed anything significantly different? Go back to 5.32. They both say the same thing. Okay? Now, Let's look at something. Leave out that Noah was 500, but look at the rest of that scripture, and then go to Genesis 6.10 and uh, see if you see something different. It calls them sons. So in Genesis 5.32, it says he birthed Shem, Ham, and Yephet. But in Genesis 6, 10, it said he fathered three sons named Shem, Ham, and Yephah. So there's something there. That's, do you understand my point and why I said what I said uh, to get there? Because there is a difference between sons and mere offspring. There is a difference in that, okay? And, and we have to see that. It's not hard to produce a male biological offspring. you got a 50-50 chance. And despite what the world says, there's two sexes, male and female. Okay, gender is man-made. God created sex, male and female. Okay, there's only two options. And that's what you get. And so it's not real hard to produce a male biological offspring. Because again, you have a 50-50 chance. You want a male child? That's pretty easy. You want a son? That's much harder. Okay? And that's what we want to look at, at, at what God is telling us, why God repeated Genesis 5.32 and Genesis 6.10, but there's something significant. Now remember, Genesis 5.32 is still the first portion where he's the God of mercy. But Genesis 6.10 is now in the second portion or Savior where he's Elohim, the God of judgment, okay? But Noah found favor even when he was the God of judgment, okay? So uh, if we look again, Genesis 5.32, Noah had three male offspring is what that's telling us. He had three male children. Three male offspring. But then Genesis 6.10 tells us Noah had three sons. Okay? Anybody can have a male child, but not everybody can raise a son. Okay? So this is what we this is what we want to look at. So something happened. Something happened to make a notable change from offspring 
to sons. Now, Noah was 480 years old when he started building the ark, and he was 500 when his oldest son was born. Now, some people, some people have, have alluded to the fact that Shem, Ham, and Yephet were triplets. They were not. Okay, because it says, you know, Noah was 500 and he begat Shem, Ham, and Yephet. Okay, but Genesis 10 and 21 tells us that Yephet was the oldest son. And then Genesis 9.24 tells us that Ham was the youngest, so that means Shem was the middle son. So that means he did not have them at the same time. What that is telling us is that, uh, uh, that at 500, he started having his sons. And Yephet was the firstborn. He was the oldest. Now, so he was 480 when he started building the ark. Okay, 480 years old. God bless him. 480 years old when he started building the ark. 500 when he had his first son. Okay, when he had Yephet. Uh, he was 500. And then he was 600 when the flood came. Okay? So you see that. 120 years, God said, I will give man 120 years to change. And if they don't, I will destroy them. So 120 years, Noah worked on building the ark, okay, while people still acted a fool. All right? So 600, the flood arrived. So when the flood came, Yephet was around 100 years old. The oldest son was around 100 years old. We're not sure. The Bible doesn't give us how many years was between uh, Yephet and Shem, but I doubt it was 10, 20, 30. He's 500. <laughs> I know it's different now. I mean, I think about, I'm, I just turned 59. I think about it. If Luanna told me she was pregnant today, you would have to come see me at some word for just a little while. <laughs> I would be like, oh, but we build church. <laughs> we wouldn't get our church going if she told me that, okay? That's my point. So, so my speculation is that, you know, a few years in between their births, especially because the scripture says when he was 500, he started having that. So when the flood came, Yephet was at least 100, probably, because there was 100 years in between the time that he was born and the flood came. So Shem was close to 100, and Ham was probably somewhere in there as well. So, you know, keep in mind, uh, they were all close to that age, depending on when they were actually born. So the boys... From the time they were born until the flood had become sons to Noah. So they had they had become, they had went from mere offspring, from mere male children to sons, okay? And so uh, uh, during that, the first Sadra, that first portion up to Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 6-8, I keep saying that for those of you that weren't here, just to kind of give you... Uh, an ideal, where in that first Seder, it's describing the decline uh, that we see now in Genesis 5.32 that they were born. So they were, they were born uh, during the decline. So they were, they were, it, would, it would be much like a baby being born today. People say, why would you bring a baby into the world in the condition of sin today? Because as long as a child is born, God's not finished. It's not done as long as there's a child born. So, 
So here he is, the same scenario. Now he's having babies when the world is coming to an end. And God has told him this as, as much. God told him that, that, that I'm going to destroy this world. Uh, I'm going to need you to build an ark. Because <laughs> it's going to rain. I'm going to destroy this world because their, their sin has come up to me. And I can no longer allow their flesh to succeed. Okay, this is what God said to him. So, uh, and, and not only was it declining, it was uh, it happening at a rapid pace. This was a quick thing, okay? So while Yetha, uh, uh, Shem, and Ham were growing up, the world was rapidly going to hell in a handbasket. Literally. Okay, it was going down, it was spiraling. So what happened in their family during those years? What happened in Noah's family during those years? And so I have a question for you. Why Why did not God just make a miracle for Noah and just say, poof, here's the ark? He certainly could have done that, right? God could have said, okay, Noah, here's the ark. When the flood comes, you get in it. He wanted to know he was right? Are you with me? After all, the dude was 500 years old, <laughs> right? He was 500, and God's like, I need you to build an ark, and I'm going to give them 120 years. Now, he knew that. Noah knew that there was 120 years remaining. So uh, why make a 500-year-old man work so hard? That's, you know, my thing. Like, like, you know, God could have, could have given Noah this miracle and said, here's the ark. But the answer to that question has to do with how you build yourself into a powerful person and then how you turn male offspring into real sons. That's the answer to that question. See, see, you know, while this is all spiritual, you've got to understand there was no spiritual structure set in place during this time. Okay? And so, uh, the answer, in a nutshell, to that is that action counts, not words. You can say it all you want to, but if you don't do it, and you don't follow through, you can't be counted on. You can't be trusted, right? So 20 years before, so so 20 years before the birth of Yephet, so 480 years old, God said, I want you to build an ark. There's going to be a flood come. 20 years, he's been working on this ark before Yephet is born. Yephet is now born 20 years after uh, he's doing that. And so he's building the ark in the presence of everybody, right? We talked a little bit about that. We've already established that the Bible says nowhere that Noah told the people willingly that the flood was coming. He didn't go to people and say, you better get ready because God told me the flood is that the world's going to come to an end and he's going to destroy you. There's nowhere in the book of Genesis in the story of Noah that it says Noah preached to the people. It doesn't say that he went out and said, you better get it right because God told me that the world's coming is going to rain. No, here's what I believe based on, again, what we see in the scripture and how things, you know, Noah's obviously building this ark in front of everybody. So these people that are living life 
like, like everything is owed to them. These men are, remember, these men of these notable people, these powerful people, they're going in, they're taking the very pretty, nice-looking uh, daughters of these less common people, and they're doing with them, having their way with them, raping them, uh, getting them impregnated, uh, leaving them, not being fathers to their children. Same thing we see today. Nothing new. This was happening in the days of Noah. So shall it be in this coming of the Son of Man. All of this was happening. Felt feel like that they are owed everything. They don't have to work. They're eating. They're drinking. They're celebrating. They're living life, feeling uh, going on their feelings. God tells us that they are that that He sees them as a mere piece of flesh, as a piece of meat with not a lot of soul. Are you with me? Not a lot left in there with any kind of conscience, right? No recognition that they were stepping outside after all these generations now of what God had set up and what uh, had been there. And so as they passed by Noah watching him, you know they got to say something. They'll be like, what's he doing? What's that? And you know, there's always those that will be going, hey, dude, what are you doing? I'm building an ark. What's an ark? I don't know. Because they're building. But what's it for? It's going to rain. Rain? What's rain? What do you mean rain? Not only is it going to rain, but there's going to be a flood. And God's going to destroy the earth and every creature on the earth with that flood. <laughs> okay. Right? Okay. So while they're sitting at the table, drinking, partying, doing what they're doing, they're like, have you seen the, the dude that's over there, that lives over there on the other side, that's been on the ark? The guy says it's going to rain. says that God... God. Who's God? Who says that there's a God? It's going to destroy the earth with, with water. Have you ever heard such a crazy notion as that? The man's nuts. But every day, Noah continues to work and build the ark. Right? In the presence of the people. So, Talking about how that, that could have played out with people asking him questions, probably mocking him. You know it would happen. It happens now. It, it would happen even more so now, except in, 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 a, in a millisecond, it would be all across Facebook. There'd be pictures. Catch this dude. Says going to, God's going to destroy the world with, 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 with a flood, and he's building some kind of box. <laughs> Crazy, right? Hashtag nuts. <laughs> right? Same, same stuff. Same, same idea. Just didn't have access like we did. So uh, then you gotta, you, you gotta see that twenty years into this, now he starts having sons. He starts having male offspring. And so you know, that that we, we gotta ask the question: What age? Is it appropriate to, to really begin preparing your child for moral lessons? What, what, what age would it be? Uh, and and uh, honestly, if you start focusing uh, on that 
notion or you start thinking about that while uh, they're in the womb, you're really getting a late start. If you wait till, till the, the, the child is in the womb, you're, you're getting a late start because it really should begin before pregnancy. Because honestly, in order to raise children successfully, you first have to raise yourself. Okay? And I'm talking about in the simplest meaning of the word, elevate yourself to be a better person. Raise yourself above the world's standard. Okay? Elevate yourself. Raise yourself first before you start even thinking about raising a child. Or specifically, in this instance, a son. So I'm going to ask you something. If you have enough money to educate your child or yourself, and I'm talking about spiritual education, so, you know, you, let's, let's say go to, to, to Bible school, or Bible, Bible school, college, whatever. Um, but if you have enough money to educate your child, just enough to educate your, your child or yourself, who should the money go to? Okay? The answer really is the father. And to his education. Because that takes priority because the children who have the advantage of being born to a solid, mature, principled, moral father are going to get the best moral education from him. Yes, that's good. Does that make sense? Okay, you understand? This is why the Bible says train up a child in the way that it should go. That's so so when that child becomes a father, he has the training. Are, are, are you with me? Okay? Just, just you know, stay with me for a minute. So, Noah first builds his own backbone here with the priority of obeying God first. Because he began to obey God. So he builds his own backbone uh, in, in, this, in, in this story by uh, obeying God first. And then once his sons are born, then there's a test to those convictions. So now that he has set the stage for himself, this is how I'm going to live. I'm going to listen to what God says. Remember, he's not lazy. He, according to ancient Jewish wisdom, he invented the plow, and he's working the land. He's working the, the ground, even though that uh, it, it is easier to work and some of the curse has been lifted. He's still taking advantage of the opportunity that it's just not as hard. So why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to make it easier? Right? And of course, we talked last week about how that can have a reverse effect, right? Yeah. Because people born into wealth can end up, you know, being, feeling privileged and, and, and all that. So now, now he begins to have sons, his convictions are being put to the test. So as the years progress, let's be real. The public goes from, you know, first ever about like, uh, they ignored him to mocking him to really probably they even threatened Noah. How dare you tell me that God's going to destroy me? What are you trying to say that I am? Are you saying that you're better than me? How many have ever read Facebook? How many ever read comments? What, you're better than me because you say you're a Christian? Well, I'm, I'm as good as you are. God loves everybody. Yes, he does. But he does not love sin. And not everybody chooses to not sin. Right? And, and so, so now 
in the midst of all this, my point being, Noah's got these three sons. He's got these three boys, these three male offspring. He's got these three sons. And he had to remain firm even as his children began to suffer the persecution. Because you know his boys got him as well. Okay, because I believe that they helped him build the ark. Right? Because if they had his convictions and his work ethic, if I can say it like that, they're not going to sit back and cross their legs and watch dad sweat and work. But they're going to help him. Right? They're going to get involved. And so now that means the children that are now being born, these fatherless children that are being born and all of these things taking place are now going to begin making fun, doing the same to these boys. Right? And so now Noah's convictions are being put to the test because when it comes to your kids, right? You can say anything you want to say about me, but don't say anything about my babies. Right? Because you're going to take somebody out. But Noah had to stand firm on those convictions. And, and even though his children suffered from the persecution. So he had to share his convictions with them and then bring them into the project rather than telling them what a lot of parents tell their kids today is I just want you to be happy, honey. <laughs> Come on, you know it's true. Well, I just want you to be happy. I want you to have everything I did. Well, how about what you did? <laughs> right? We talked about that last week. I'm going to get back on that. So, so that's the whole boat building program. That's what it's all about. It's really not about escaping God's judgment. It's about God being able to trust you before the judgment came. It's about you proving yourself to God before the judgment came. Are you with me on that? So, had God created the ark himself, we would have missed the whole point. We would have missed that whole point. This is why we must live out our relationship with God in front of our kids. Amen. You cannot be one thing inside these walls and something else inside the walls of your home. You can't be that. We must live out our relationship with God in front of our kids. We will have to tell them some things, right? That even when they don't want to hear them, it's okay. Billy Bob will be okay. Even when they don't want to hear some of those things, we have to tell them. Because talking is less important than living it out. It's about action. You can scream it, you can say it all you want, but if you're not living it, and if you're not acting on it, then you're not being effective. And can I tell you that choosing the right doesn't always make our kids happy? But it will train them to learn that there are consequences to our decisions. So it ain't about what all the other kids are getting to do. If you feel like that your child should not have a smartphone, I don't care if every other kid has one, don't give them a smartphone. Yep. Well, they're going to be mad. So. They'll get over it. Whenever they're hungry and dinner's ready, they'll eventually come back to the table. Right? I'm, I'm just making a making a point to, to we gotta train them that there's consequences to our decisions. Our choices will not have to go with the status quo. 
but they will bring us a harvest of blessings for our future. Our choices and our decisions now. So, my question is, are you building an ark? Or are you just sitting around talking about going boating? Are you literally building an ark? Or are you just sit around, or are you just sitting around talking about going boating? You have to learn to build the ark for you and your family, and then learn that you can survive any storm that life brings as long as you're in that ark. Amen? You can do that. So for 120 years, while uh, society is continuing to deteriorate, Noah builds the ark as well as his sons. So now they're, they're building for 120 years. This is happening. Now these three sons were now real adults, and they were, were each given the honor of having their own name mentioned as they entered the ark. So it didn't just say Noah and his three sons entered the ark. They had the honor of their name being mentioned as they entered the ark. Okay? Let's look at... Uh, so not only were they Noah's sons, but they had Noah's convictions. And so if you are standing and you are living and proclaiming the truth and the standards of God's word, and your child adheres to that, that is something to be proud of. That is nothing to take lightly. If your child seeks to emulate your walk with God and wants to be the kind of person you are in business, are you with me? In, 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 in ministry, in, in family, and wants to be that, that is something to be proud of, okay? So, not only were they his sons, but they were also had taken his convictions. So let's look at Genesis 7 and 13. We're now well into uh, the second Savior, and Noah's building the ark, as the ark built, and uh, we're going to be jumping around a lot, so excuse me for a minute. It says, In the selfsame day entered Noah, and Shem and Ham and Yephet, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them, into the ark. Now, in the self-same day, it says Noah entered into the ark along with Ham, Shin, and Yephet. Okay? That's different than saying on that day. So, you might say, on that day entered Noah, Shin, Ham, Yephet, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. But that is different. Because the word self-same here is the Hebrew word etsim. Everybody see that? The Hebrew word etsim. That is the word self-same here. This word literally means bone. So etsim means bone. This is the same word used when Adam said of Eve, she is bone of my bone. And flesh in my flesh. Okay, so it's the same, it's the same word. So it, it is the word bone. So literally, it, it is, this is translated to say that it was on the bone of that day that Noah entered the ark. So it was on the bone of that day that Noah entered the ark. Now think about bones. What do they do? They supply us the strength that we need. 
right? Bones, supplies, perfection. They give us the ability to stand up. They give us the ability not only to stand up, but to stand direct and to confront the challenges face to face, right? Bones have a lot of not only physical ability, but there's a lot of uh, of, 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 of pictures that we see of that, things that we uh, that we, we get from the idea of the bones. So when you think about them, you know, your bones are literally your skeletal structure. That means if you see your bones, you have a problem. Right? If you can see your bone, something going on. Because we're not supposed to see our bones, right? Because they are are in our strength. They are that which supports us, that which uh, allows us. So that's the same for our inner strength. It's the same. If your inner strength becomes too visible, it becomes arrogance. So if the fact that you have made it through so much and that you are strong and you are capable, if that becomes too obvious or too visible, then that becomes arrogance. But if that is kept hidden within you, it provides you enormous amount of strength. It gives you a great amount of strength. It's why we contribute our source of strength to Christ and not ourselves. Because it's Christ in us. Not anything that we do. When, when, when we are at our weakest, that's when his strength is at its peak. Amen? Are you with me? So when, 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 our, when our inner strength becomes too obvious, just like bones, we've got a problem. So why was this phrase... Bone of the day used here. Ancient Jewish, ancient Jewish wisdom explains that based on what the Torah is implying here, that the people had obviously told Noah, we don't know if it's really going to rain or not. Right? So after, think about it, after 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 100 years, they're like, yeah, okay. Sure, it's going to rain. Sure, Jesus is coming back. I've heard that all of my life. All of my life. Some of what I just said before, as I prefaced and went into this, you're thinking, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that. I've heard that all of my life. So it, this implies that the people obviously told him that we don't know if it's going to rain or not, but if it does, we're not going to let you get in the ark. Remember what Noah was portraying to them. That he was going to be saved. Right? That's the, that's the whole point of building the ark. Because I'm sure somebody said, well, what about you? And he's like, that's why I'm building this. God said to me, well, what makes you different from God? We just explained. I don't, I doubt that Noah perceived that per se. Maybe he did. Maybe he was intelligent and smart. I don't know. But but I'm sure they said, well, what makes you any better than anybody else? How many have ever been asked that by a sinner? What makes you think you're better than me? What makes you think that you are, have special privileges, right? So, so uh, this implies, by the use of the, the Hebrew language here, it implies that they said to Noah, you know what? If it does rain, we don't still rain or not, but if it does, you're not going to enter that ark. Because if we're going to die, you don't die. We're going to let you, right? But based on the phrase, bone of the day, Noah didn't sneak in the ark in the middle of the night, but he rather walked in it standing tall in his inner strength 
and staring his mockers right in the face. So he walked in the ark. He didn't, he didn't sneak and do it in the night when nobody would see him, but he did it in the bone of the day, right, right in, the, in, the, in the, the middle of the day, in his, with his inner strength and his confidence, right, based on what God had told him and based on the fact that for 120 years he was faithful. And he did exactly what God said. Not only did he do that, he taught right. his sons. He created sons and he made them. And so not only did he go in, but so did Yephet, Shem, and Ham, Noah's wife, Naamah, and Noah's daughters-in-law. They all went in on the bone of the day with that inner strength. Okay? And God is the one that shut them in. Okay, God is the one that, that shut them in the ark. Okay, and so the Bible says, up until the day the flood came, they were partying. They were living like there was no end in sight. In the hour that you think not, the Son of Man will appear. When you, just when you think, you got time. Bam. So where did they get their inner strength from? Remember now, there's no worship, there's no covenant blessings, there's no law, there's nothing there. So 120 years of building an ark is a mighty, strengthening activity. Being faithful. Be faithful. Be not weary in doing well. For in due season, when God says, if you don't faint, you will reap what you have sown. You will. So 120 years of, of, of building an ark is a really good strengthening activity. So I encourage you tonight, stay strong. Stay steady. If you fall off the tracks, get up. Don't waste time. Get up fast. Do not linger there. Do not worry about how you got there. I can't believe that I'm down here. Don't ask anybody's opinion. Get up. Based on what you've already experienced with God, get up. Brush yourself off. Repent. Do whatever you have to do to make your heart right with God. And then keep on moving because in the eyes of mercy, because mercy is new every day, all the mercy you used yesterday is done and it is not being held against you. Are you with me? He's not holding it against you. So as far as the east is from the west, that's how, how, how deep into the sea that your sins have been cast. And so at that moment, so don't linger there because the moment that you linger could be the hour that you think not. The moment that you say, you know what, I'm not sure whether God has called me or not, could be the hour that the trumpet sounds. I mean that. I'm being, I'm being serious as I've ever been. Okay? Talking from here to there. From the pulpit to the car as you're going out on High Street, all the way home. Every bit of it. Consider the cost. Alright? So, so uh, action is the thing. Remember that when, when raising yourself and your children, that action is the thing, yes. not your words. Yes. 
So when you're raising yourself and you're raising your kids, it's action. It's what you do, not what you say. Right? So the Bible contains some really vital information if we know where to look. And hopefully you're getting an idea of where to look, right? You're, you're getting some, uh, some uh, understanding a little bit. I know I can talk fast and I know that uh, you know, it sounds like I know more than I do, and I don't know a lot, trust me. I, I really don't. I don't I don't feel that, and I don't see myself above you in that way at all. I'm thankful for anything that, uh, that and any understanding that I have, but I will tell you that this is why we take the, we're taking the time to do this, and why we're taking uh, this to the opportunity to help you understand that, to tell you that God has got you covered and he's went before you before you were ever even yes. thought about in this earth he had you in mind okay and there's nothing that you go through that he will not sustain you I promise you that okay let's look at Genesis 6 15 we're talking about the ark are, are we okay can we go a little bit farther yeah. Yeah, a little bit more than I want to go into now this is talking about the ark. And it said, this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. Or will make it of. Let me tell you this. In the, in, the, in the ancient translation, it calls the ark a her. It says that it, it, this is the fashion which you shall make her. Nobody's ever heard boats referred to as females. Everything, everything, I don't care what anybody says, everything originates from from God and from, from there. So it says the length of the ark of the ark shall be three hundred cubits, the breadth of it fifty cubits, and the height of it thirty cubits. Okay? Now, ancient Jewish wisdom teaches that the height of the ark, which was thirty cubits, was divided into two parts. Ten cubits was for garbage, and then twenty cubits was for living. So think about it. They didn't throw their garbage out into the they couldn't open the ark. So their garbage had to go somewhere. Their waste had to go somewhere. Are you with me? So the, the, the bottom 10 cubits of that, of the height of the ark was for garbage, waste, all of that, and then the other 20 cubits was for living. Now, here's where I might lose some of you. But it's all right. As long as we don't lose our salvation, we're good. Because it has nothing to do with our salvation, Right? Everybody, everybody take a breath. Yeah, that's right. The shape of the ark is really not what we picture. Okay, we see, you know, we kind of, we see the picture, but we kind of we kind of see this right kind of thing and whatever. I'm a terrible artist. Okay, obviously you can yeah picture that. Of anything, if you've been here a long time. I can't draw. All right. Uh, Haley did not get that for me. Um, but, you know, we kind of see it in that, in that shape, if you will. Well, based on the scriptures, uh, it would have looked more like a wooden shoebox instead of a boat. Okay, so it, it, really, it really did not look like that. Who knows? You know. But it really would have been more like that. 
see him now. Okay. So it really would look more like a wooden shoebox based on these dimensions. So if you put something like that in the water, what's going to happen to it? It's going to sink, right? It, it, it's really going to sink. So the way it appears and, and, and the way that it looks, the Bible seems to be uh, asking for ridicule. But he gave us the measurements, right? The, 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 the word gives us the measurements for a purpose because God, again, does not remember. Everything has a purpose that's in the word and the meaning. So, you know, it, 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 so it really it really seems like the Bible is, 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 is asking for there to be ridicule, for there to be, there to be mocking, you know. An ark big enough to hold between two and seven of all the living creatures has to be pretty enormous. Correct? Right? That, that has to be pretty enormous. Plus, had an old man and his three sons without any power tools <laughs> is supposed to build such an enormous project. How is an old man, his three sons, without a drill and a power saw, right? How are they supposed to build something like that? Now, the cubit is only about 18 inches. So this really isn't all that big when you think of all those creatures being on it. Honestly, when you think about, about all of that. But ancient Jewish wisdom gives us a deeper revelation as to why the measurements were what they were. Gives us some, uh, and this is what I want to make sure that I, I, I get on tonight uh, before, uh, so before we end. Uh, so, again, the measurements are there. God gives us those measurements. There's got to be a reason for that and a purpose in that. So we, we want to look at that deeper revelation uh, that is there uh, when we think about what God is doing. Now, Hebrew letters, we've already said this, I believe, but Hebrew letters have a numerical value, okay? Every Hebrew letter in the aliphate or the alphabet has a numerical value. Now, the numeric equivalent is a very vital part of the Hebrew alphabet. We talked about that already as well. So, uh, remember when we talked about the liver and the heart and all of those things, right? And the, uh, the numeric equivalent is very vital uh, when it comes to the Hebrew alphabet. So in Israel, uh, books might have letters at the bottom of their pages versus numbers. So, for instance, in, in, in English, in an English book, it would be the number, say it would be the number 23. In Israel, it would be TC instead of 23 because... Uh, so at the bottom of the page, instead of being 23, it would be TC, because T is 20, the numeric value of T, of the letter T is 20, and the numeric value of C is 3. So TC is 23. So in, 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 a, in Israel, in a Hebrew book, uh, you more likely will see letters at the bottom of the pages than you would uh, numbers, okay? So that's kind of the, the, the understanding. So when numbers are given in the Bible... There's more being conveyed than simply a bunch of numbers. That's what I want you to get. I said all that to say that. Okay? So, the ark on its own really is not protection for Noah and his family and all those animals. They're really being saved by the mercy of God. It's the mercy of God that is saving Noah and all 
of the creatures that Noah brings on the ark. So after using God's name for judgment, which is Elohim, in the beginning of the second Sedra, interestingly enough, we've already said this, as Noah is boarding the ark, okay, now the second Sedra is, is Elohim, right? The God of judgment. But as Noah is boarding the ark, his name changes back to Hashem. So it goes from, from, from mercy to judgment back to mercy. So as Noah now is, built, is boarding the ark, God's name changes back to Hashem in the Hebrew. So in the whole final analysis of it, Noah's being saved through God's mercy, and that's what the numbers or the measurements emphasize in the building of the ark. Okay? So right with me there. So, so it's, it's, it's God's mercy that's saving Noah, not the ark. Okay? The ark is just the means by which Noah is kept until judgment is finished. But mercy is what saved Noah. And the numbers and the dimensions are, uh, are what uh, literally saves Noah. And we see this in here. So, there are two separate names for God. Each of those names contain four letters. And they're used, those two names for God are used when focusing on the merciful aspects of God. So we know the name, Hashem, is, is mercy. But there are two uh, separate names for God or, or uh, descriptions of God that when you're focusing on his merciful aspects are used. Both of those names are considered so holy to the Jewish people that they don't even pronounce them as they're written unless they're using that name in prayer. So they don't even pronounce those, uh, those, those names. The first name is Jehovah. In the Hebrew, it's pronounced Yehovah. Okay, there's no J in the Hebrew language. Even though you see the letter J, it's pronounced Y. So it's Yehovah. So uh, that first name is, uh, is Jehovah or Yehovah. It is spelled, remember there's no, there's no, Vowels in the Hebrew language. So it is Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey, Yehovah. Okay? That is the, the first name, um, of, of first of the two names that is used when speaking about the merciful aspects of God. The other one is Adonai. Okay? Adonai is Aleph, Dalit, Nun, Yod. So Adonai is the other name in the Hebrew, uh, Hebrew name for God that uh, it, when they're speaking about the merciful aspects of God. Now, I didn't write this down so I didn't forget it. So I, can, I told you correctly because I told you I'm not that smart. So, when we look, now remember, when you read Hebrew, you go, how do you read Hebrew? From right to left. We read from left to right. You read Hebrew from Right to left. So this would this would actually be be written. See that? In the Hebrew, you would read Yahovah. We read it in English, Yahovah. You would read it 
Yahovah. That makes sense? Okay, so you go from right to left. This would be Adonai. I must look like Andy, right? I knew that's what you were thinking. So, so you, you would read it from right to left. So Aleph, Dalit, Nun, Yod. Okay? So remember that. Keeping that from, from, from right to left. Now, the Yod in the Hebrew is the numeric value of Yod is 10, of He is 5, Vav is 6, He is 5. The numeric value of, of Aleph is 1, the Dalit is 4, the Nun is 50, and the Yod, of course, is 10. So, let's, everybody with me? I don't want you to think I'm kooky or that, you know, it's like, I don't get that. You might already think that, but that's okay. Keep it to yourself. Especially you young people. So, let's do this. 10, 5, right? 6, 10. That's on your, or no, 5. Sorry. See that? You see that? Are you with me? So now we got 1, uh, 4, 50, and 10. Now, so the, the ark was a product of mercy. Right? God saved Come them. On. It was a product of mercy. How do you get a product? Yeah. No. Multiply. Multiply, yes. So, so, let's look at this. The two names of God and the aspects of mercy, and this is, this is I'm trying to show you how, from the Hebrew, ancient Jewish wisdom and the Hebrew, how you get the idea that it was not the ark that saved Noah, it was God's mercy. Okay? So, we take the two names of God when we're speaking about the aspects of mercy. These are the numeric value, okay, in, in each of these letters. So, if you, 10 times 1 is what? 10. 10. 5 times 4 is what? 20. 6 times 50 is what? 300. 5 times 10 is what? 50. What were the dimensions Stop it. of the ark? Okay, remember, the bottom level was 10 cubits for the garbage. The living level was 20 cubits. The width was 300, or no, the length, I'm sorry, was 300, the width was 50, so 20 plus that is 30, so you get the little dimensions of the ark that God said in the Bible, which is, which is legitimately the names of God and his mercy added together, put together, so it was not, it was not the ark that saved them, but it was God's mercy, Yehovah Adonai, from Hashem to Elohim, back to Hashem. See that? I did. I got tear up. It's insane. When I think about that and how that God is so detailed. Yes. 
And so before I was ever thought of, he had me in mind. And made provision. How can you, how can you shrug it off? When as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. It's not what you do that's going to save you. But it's simply God's mercy. And what you do is what he uses to keep you until his mercy rescues you. And so we can escape these things. So these dimensions really have nothing to do with building a boat. That's why you really can't think about how did all of those things fit in there. How did a wooden shoebox float? Because God's mercy will. See, to me, that that's more holy than this rounded boat thing floating. I want it to not make sense to me. I want the science to be that stupid. That don't make sense to me. That means it must be God. (laughs) Come on, some things don't make sense. But for God to give Noah with no wall, no worship, no sacrifices, nothing, simply based on the fact that Noah was faithful, he was not lazy, he he was productive. Are you with me? And that God knew he could trust him. That he gave him, him male offspring. He turned those male offspring into sons. Those sons became just like their dad. And they walked in with confidence the day of the ark on that inner strength. God shut the door. This square box now is floating in this water and is not sinking. Do not tell me that God's mercy, His grace, His provision will not keep you in any storm, any circumstance, any situation. I don't care what it is. If you are faithful to build, oh, come on somebody, so you cannot sit around and talk about going boating. you got to put your hand, amen, to the plow and begin to build the ark. Put action. Let your children see. I don't care if you only got three days left. Make that the best three days that they have ever seen. Are you with me? You understand that? So it gives us a message here that when push comes to shove, we rely on God's mercies and not anything else. When everything is falling apart, when it all comes down, you feel like quitting, you feel like giving up, and it looks like that it's not worth it, and everybody's coming against you, and everybody else seems to be prospering, having a good time at all of those moments on social media, looks like life is perfect, and you feel like yours is falling apart, understand that it's not anything but the mercies of God that wakes you up, keeps you, sustains you. It ain't gravity that holds you up, it's the mercy of God that holds you up and sustains you. And when it all comes to an end, if you're still building the ark, he is going to call you up out and you will escape Elohim. And it will go from Elohim to mercy. Come on, somebody. Do you understand me? This is why Amen. we got to understand. Look, there's no atheist in a foxhole. They can say they don't believe in God, but there's no atheist in a foxhole, and I'm convinced there's not very many in a hospital waiting room when they need, amen, attention, and life is on the line. Amen. Somebody's going to call out upon who? God. 
Why? Because he's faithful. And for me, this solidifies even more so that Yahweh, Jehovah, Adonai, Hashem, Elohim is the divine creator. He is the God of this universe. And this world, this earth is his footstool and he is in control. He can take care of anything. And 120 years out, he was making provision for Noah, his sons, their wives, and his wife. All because he was willing to be obedient and obey. We've got it written. Right, right. We've got it wrote down. We've got it explained. You've got, you've got people that are explaining it, living it. We've got proof. We've got evidence. We've got stories. We've got testimonies. We're seeing it firsthand. How much more should we be sustaining in this hour? So be encouraged tonight. Be encouraged that you're not just... You're just not some church offspring. But you are a son and a daughter of Adonai. You're a son and a daughter of Jehovah, the God of mercy. And even though Elohim is evident right now in this world, we are building this ark. And if you're on this ark, you're going to be able to withstand any storm. He's faithful. He deserves a hand clap. Give him a hand clap right there. Amen. That's where I want to end it. Good night. I wanted to make sure that I got this song. And so I, I want you to understand that, amen, that God, God is not a God of coincidence. God is not a God that if it's in the Word, and there's more to it. There's a deeper, deeper meaning to it, amen. You just got to look for it. And we're trying, I'm, I'm trying to help us to know how to look for it. And to know where to look for it. Amen. So um, be encouraged. Amen. Don't give up. But look up. And, and take to heart. We can be on the brink of the church disappearing. The righteous leaving this world. And there will be nothing left but tribulation. And there's no escaping it. Revelation says. There's no escaping that tribulation. Amen. I appreciate you. Thank you so very much for your attention. And for all, uh, amen, your worship. Do not forget, uh, I know it's Christmas Eve, and like I said, hopefully uh, you'll have time to come and uh, spend a couple hours with us. We're going to work really hard to uh, to get you out of here. I know that you have family things planned, but uh, we're going to have class at 10 o'clock, worship at 11. We have uh, our candlelight communion. The worship team has our Christmas uh, uh, music uh, for you. We're going to worship. We're going to honor God, and uh, we'll even give you a little something as you leave it. Uh, and so we appreciate you staying with us. Uh, thank you so much. Looks like it's going to be 57 degrees on Christmas. No rain, though. The rain's supposed to come Saturday, but not, not uh, Sunday or Monday. So that's good. Amen. But uh, if we don't see you, if for some reason you can't be here Sunday morning, we love you. We appreciate you. Be safe if you're traveling. Have a Merry Christmas. Be blessed. And please, by all means, stay in the ark. Keep building, keep doing, and keep looking up. Amen? Amen. Well, bless the show hard. You know what to do. Lift your hands on God. Give him a shout of praise for all these things. We love you, my best. Merry Christmas. <laughs>